The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. everybody this is the Tom Sumner program my guest this hour um, spent a chunk of yesterday testifying uh, to a um, Senate budget committee about uh, income and wealth inequality and uh, she is the uh, from the Institute for Policy Studies she is their CEO pay expert Sarah Anderson and she joins me by phone hi Sarah welcome back to the show Thank you. Great to be here. Um, Sarah, it, it, 
First of all, is this the first time you've testified uh, to Congress? It's the second time. <laughs> so it doesn't happen every day. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't think that it does. How how does testifying to a Senate uh, Budget Committee hearing come about? Is this something that you seek out, or do they look for you? Well, I was invited by the chair of the committee, who is uh, right now Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. And he, as most people know, uh, cares deeply about the problem of inequality in our country. And so he'll be doing a series of hearings. He did one a few weeks ago about the minimum wage, and this one focused more on wealth and income inequality. And uh, they reached out and invited me to participate, and I was really honored to do so. I think it it really um, is a milestone in the, the work around the set of issues that it's being given so much of a spotlight in the Senate. Now, Bernie Sanders has uh, done videos with Chuck Collins from Institute for Policy Studies and <laughs> and had conversations. He's been kind of a friend to IPS, but who else w- was on the committee, and what kinds of things were they interested in hearing from you? Yeah, that's a great question. So the the top Republican on the committee is Senator Lindsey Graham, And it was interesting. In his opening remarks, he talked about how he also cares a lot about inequality. And we might not have a lot of common ground on what the solutions are, but he did talk about the issue of corporate monopolies and the need for more antitrust action, potentially to break up some of the big tech firms and so forth. So I thought that was an interesting area of common ground. And Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, the Republican, yeah. uh, was is also on the committee. He, as well, talked about uh, his concern around inequality and, um, you know, threw out some tax ideas that I wasn't very familiar with. But I don't think there was anyone on the committee who rejected the notion that this is a problem. Um, And I think that is a a real reflection of what uh, members of Congress across the political spectrum are hearing from their constituents, that they're outraged about these massive CEO paychecks at a time when so many working families are struggling. They're outraged when they hear about how billionaires' wealth has actually increased during the pandemic. And so... You know, we'll see what happens when it comes down to actually voting on on uh, legislation that could actually do something about inequality. But I was sort of encouraged by the tone in the room. Now, for your testimony, how does how does that work? Do you get a certain amount of time to make a statement and then yeah. senators ask you questions based on your statement or do you just come in and they just start firing questions and you do your best? <laughs> no, here's how it works. They give you five minutes for your oral testimony. You can submit written testimony that can be of any length. So I submitted a, probably a 10-page uh, written document that will be part of the the record. Um, but no, you only get five minutes, and if you go over, they'll gavel you down uh, because they do really t- try to tightly control this. And then after the witnesses make their opening statements, then the the two top-ranking members from both parties uh, get the first shot at asking questions, and then they go in order of seniority. So 
um, the the next, you know, and they go back and forth across the aisle for Democrat, Republican, and so forth, um, typically anyway, depending on who else in the room. And, uh, you know, it can get pretty heated. Sometimes they'll try to ask, you know, gotcha questions and that type of thing. But like I said, I, I felt like the tone in the room yesterday was uh, more collegial than it is um, on a lot of other topics um, in our very polarized political system. And I, I think it just shows a recognition that inequality has just gotten so out of hand that um, it's really hard. It's really hard for anybody to defend, um, for example, somebody like Jeff Bezos, who has um, seen such a huge increase in his personal wealth during the pandemic and yet is uh, squeezing his workers and trying to fight a union um, organizing drive in Alabama. And I should mention that um, there was a worker from that Alabama Amazon warehouse there to talk about why she would like to see a union. And Jeff Bezos himself was also invited to testify, but he declined to participate, which which is a shame. And, and, and now you mentioned that... Um that there were a number of people who testified and they all have five minutes to make their, I, I don't know, their, their oral testimony or their opening statements. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are you, were the questions being directed at you for a period of time and then someone else for a period of time? Or did the the senators just ask questions of a particular person that they wanted to hear from? Um, it's up to the senators to use their time as they'd like. Each senator typically gets five minutes and they can they can either just fill up that time with whatever they want to talk about or they can direct questions at particular people or to the whole panel. But they can bounce around. They can say, you know, yeah. this question is for Sarah Anderson or this question right. is yep. for the worker from, where was it, Alabama? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And, and they, they did try to ask some gotcha questions. Well, I didn't feel like it was that much of a, a an issue in this hearing. I mean, there have been some really um, fierce ones where, you know, they can try to pin you down on personal things that don't have much to do with the substance of the question. Uh, former Labor Secretary Robert Reich was also on the panel. He got some tough questions from Republicans sort of nitpicking about some of the data in his testimony. But uh, like I said, I, I I think they were reluctant to do that, um, especially when you had a worker from Amazon up there talking about really the, the brutal working conditions at the warehouse where she works. One of the, the points that just really stuck with me was she said on one of her first days on the job, she works in a warehouse that is the size of three football fields and is four stories tall. And she needed to go from the first floor to the fourth floor, and she started to get into an elevator, and they told her, oh, no, none of the elevators in this building are for the workers. That's only for us to put um, products on, to move products from one level to, to another. And, of course, people have heard about all the issues around not being able to take restroom breaks and, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and, you know, here she's working for a guy who's the, the richest man probably ever to live on our, our planet. So I think it was just very um, uncomfortable for anyone who would have tried to, you know, make her look bad or trying, you know, trying to... Um, to do any kind of gotcha questions with her or other people who were bringing out just these 
really indefensible levels of disparity in our society right now. And what kinds of questions did you get from the senators? Yeah, well, I was asked about why it is that we've had such an increase in the gap between uh, CEO and worker pay. I had said in my testimony that in 1980, the, the gap between uh, average CEO pay at big companies and their typical workers was about 42 to 1 in, in 1980, and now it's uh, over 300 to 1. And so I was asked to explain, well, why is that? And uh, what I explained is that uh, on the CEO pay end, there's been a real, there was a real shift in the 90s so that most of the pay that they get is in some form of stock-based pay as opposed to cash um, salary. And the argument there was that this would ensure pay for performance, but it really hasn't worked out that way. Um, and one of the most extreme gaps uh, examples I gave was after the 2008 financial crisis, companies gave their executive just boatloads of new um, stock-based um, grants when the stock market was absolutely at the bottom. And so when the taxpayer-fueled recovery started to kick in, that stock-based pay just exploded in value and it had absolutely nothing to do with the performance of the executives, um, but they still reap these huge rewards. And so that was one of the questions I got. Let's see, I also got asked about uh, whether um, I think that we should be analyzing our economic policies in terms of the impact on inequality. That was from Senator Tim Kaine from Virginia. He held up a chart that was really dramatic. It looked at the impact of the Republican tax reform of 2017 um, and how that uh, how the benefits of that have uh, mostly gone to people at the top and then on the same chart he showed um, the benefits from the recently passed COVID uh, relief deal and how the benefits from that would mostly go to people at the bottom of the income scale and he asked whether we think that we should analyze more economic policies that way. And I said, absolutely. And I, I think that one indicator that, that we should be tracking is that the Federal Reserve did a very interesting study that gets at economic insecurity in America. And what they found was that 40% of Americans can't afford a $400 emergency. So that, and this was from 2019, before the pandemic. And so, you know, what that means is that 40% of the country, even before the pandemic, um, was just one car breakdown or one medical emergency away from financial ruin. And I think it just says so much about how much anxiety, financial anxiety, so many people are living with every day or in as, the richest country in the world. Or as we've experienced during the pandemic, a paycheck or two away. Yeah, absolutely. And and we've seen people lose their paychecks for some, at least uh, for some period of time, more in some yeah. fields than others. More with Sarah Anderson, the CEO pay expert at the Institute for Policy Studies, about her testimony to the uh, U.S. Senate Budget Committee hearing is straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with Sarah Anderson, the CEO pay expert at the Institute for Policy Studies, about her testimony to the uh, U.S. Senate Budget Committee hearing is straight ahead. Do the boards of of these uh, well-paid CEOs, do they know when they make these stock deals that, like, for example, after the the 2008 uh, bailout, Mm-hmm. Do they know these things are going to be huge windfalls? Yeah, and their argument, um, you know, especially in that time when it was really reckless executive behavior that drove our economy off the cliff, there was just so much anger about executive pay, and there were there were a lot of calls for putting very strict restrictions on. Um, CEO pay at the bailed out companies and their argument in opposition to that, um, the corporate boards, was that they couldn't possibly retain top talent um, among their executives unless they offered these huge pay packages to keep them on board. And, you know, I'm sorry, but it was that so-called top talent that got us into that mess. And I, I just thought it was outrageous that they push back so hard on that. Um, but one reason the corporate boards do that is because corporate boards tend to be um, made up of executives from other companies, you know, so they have a personal vested interest in keeping the pay system as it is, um, which has, you know, just generated these uh, obscene uh, windfalls for people at the top, whether they por- perform well or not. Is... To what degree or, or um, this is kind of a, a, a which contributes more kind of a question, a corporate board uh, actions with regard to CEO compensation or governmental tax policy? That, well, that's a really interesting question. You know, back in the like post-World War II era, when we had much higher uh tax rates on the richest Americans, Um, you know, in the Eisenhower era, the top marginal tax rate was like 91%. Today, it's 37%. And when they had such high tax rates on on high incomes, CEO pay wasn't anywhere near as high as it is today. And, And a likely reason for that is it it didn't make any sense because uh, it was going to be taxed. The you know the top levels was was going to be taxed away anyway. Um, so that was one way that uh, tax policy um, uh, you know discouraged these massive payouts at the top because they would you know the IRS would just take a lot of it anyway. Um, another way though that tax policy has um, actually contributed to the huge pay packages, and this is slightly complicated one, but um, it was a well-intentioned reform in the Clinton era to respond to outrage about CEO pay. So they put a $1 million cap on the deductibility of CEO pay for corporations, hoping that that would discourage them from giving out such big uh, pay packages. But they they inserted a huge loophole which was that the cap that didn't apply to stock-based pay. Um, and so that is another reason for this shift to stock-based pay, which has really, you know, phenomenally increased the potential payout uh, because you can just 
You know, you can give hundreds of thousands of stock shares to an executive. And if that increases for things that have nothing to do with what what the executive is doing, um, you know, another example would be like the oil companies. Um, the oil company CEOs will admit freely that they have no control over the global price of oil. But if that price goes up a lot because, you know, there's a new war somewhere or, you know, whatever other reason outside their control, they still personally benefit massively because their companies are going to be more profitable. Sarah, can you explain a little bit about... uh... CEO compensation packages, how they're how they're put together, presented, and paid out. Uh, obviously, there's a certain amount that's salary, and then yeah. some is in stocks. Is that a certain amount of stock, uh, so many shares, or a certain percentage yeah. of stock annually? <laughs> how how is that doled out? Yeah, it's just, it's ridiculously complicated. You know, companies do need to report their executive pay, and it often takes many pages for them to, you know, explain all the different components of it. But um, basically, cash salary, the kind of pay that most of us are are used to. A paycheck um, every two weeks. Yeah, right. That's about 10% of a typical big company CEO's uh, total compensation packages. So, um, just as a, a little aside, when people heard in 2020 that a lot of CEOs were going to give up their salaries to, you know, show solidarity in our time of crisis, that was barely a, a little nick in, you know, the size of their overall compensation packages. Um, a, a lot of the pay then is in some form of stock-based pay. Um, sometimes it's tied to performance standards, like um, you can only cash this in if you, uh, you know, your earnings per share or your profit levels uh, meet these targets. But again, corporate boards have a lot of flexibility, and so what we're seeing in in terms of what happened last year with the pandemic is. A lot of executives didn't meet their targets to get their big payouts um, because of, you know, the COVID economic crisis. But boards just gave it to them anyway, um, you know, to, to, again, this whole argument that, oh, we have to really treat executives well in a time of crisis because we can't afford to lose these extraordinarily talented and valuable employees. And I just. You say that, Sarah, like you're not quite convinced. (laughs) (laughs) I I find it harder to swallow in a year when we saw how essential all these frontline workers were to our economy and our public health, the people who were just hustling and taking great risks, you know, with their own public health to go back to work and, you know, food processing plants and to be home health aides or nursing home aides or, you know, many other jobs that are so low paying. And yet, you know, our, our country couldn't operate without them. We, uh, you know, they make sure our vulnerable people are taken care of. They make sure we have food on the table. And yet um, their work is valued so little compared to the guys in the corner office. And I'm just seeing one example of after another of corporate boards who, bent the rules to make sure their CEOs would get their 
um, full bonuses, mega million dollar bonuses last year. And these are some of the same companies that, you know, aren't paying hazard pay, um, are fighting against a raise in the minimum wage. And and I just hope people speak out about that more. I, I think the pandemic has been a huge eye opener in, you know, the, the value to our society um, provided by so many of these low wage workers who've just really hustled and, 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 you know, stood up to the challenge. And, um, and we need to get away from this idea that it's just, you know, a handful of executives at the very top who create all the value at these companies. And does this, uh, does the fact that, that CEO compensation is tied to um, stock performance um, tie them to Wall Street? We keep hearing that Wall Street is doing very well, and we would hear that mm-hmm. a lot during the uh, uh, four years that uh, Donald Trump was president. He was always saying the economy is humming, it's booming. And, I, you know, every time he would make one of those statements, Sarah, I would think, well, not really in my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, is is their tie to, to Wall Street part of what makes what I simply consider two different economies? Yeah, the disconnect has really become you know, even more glaring than, than ever when we've seen um, the 600 or so, so U.S. billionaires, their uh, combined wealth has increased by $1.3 trillion during the pandemic. That's because they get most of their wealth uh, through their investments, not because not they're, you know, rolling up their sleeves and, and doing some hard manual labor or anything they're they're getting it from their their money is making money for them on wall street and uh you know meanwhile geez if we hadn't come through with that covid relief deal we would have seen a huge explosion of homelessness and hunger and and all because so many people were living close to the edge and i also just want to raise the point that um, you know, I talk a lot about how outrageous the pay situation was for CEOs around the financial crisis because so many of those CEOs um, took reckless actions that got us into that crisis. The, the pandemic is different. Um, executives didn't directly cause the pandemic, obviously, but they did. Many of them did take actions that made people so much more vulnerable to the crisis by outsourcing jobs, by converting the existing jobs to part-time, low-wage jobs without benefits. And, you know, like I said, even before the pandemic, 40% of Americans couldn't afford a $400 emergency. So when the pandemic hit, it didn't take much to push people right over that edge. And, you know, fortunately, we're, we're trying to come together as a society and, and make sure that people aren't totally falling through the cracks. And, you know, the COVID relief deal is going to go a long way towards that, fortunately. Um, But uh, we were put in this position by a business model that really shovels the the value of companies to the top and increases economic insecurity for most of the rest of us. Now, it sounds like Amazon was sort of the go-to example of income disparity. at, at least for the purposes of the of the hearing that that you testified at yesterday in the Senate, um, 
the Senate Budget Committee hearing. Um, is is Amazon the the sort of poster company for uh, showing how some companies benefited dramatically from the pandemic or during the pandemic? Maybe not from it um, exactly, um, but but also the 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 examples of huge CEO compensation and low um, staff pay is, are, are they really kind of the, um, the model? It's hard to find a more dramatic one, really. Um, when you see just how hard their, their workers are hustling under really, um, really challenging conditions. You know, Amazon has been defending themselves saying, you know, we don't know what these workers are complaining about because we pay a $15 minimum wage. But there's this this system that I've I've really learned a lot more about in in the recent months where uh, workers are monitored for every um, minute that they are on the clock and they can be fired for... um, you know, taking a, a little bit too long to take a, a restroom break. Like I explained before, these these warehouses are the size of three football fields. So if you have just, you know, a half an hour for a lunch break and you have to walk from one end of that to, to the other, um, you know, you, you can see how how much of a strain it is on workers that they're they're constantly aware that every minute um, they're they're on the job they're being monitored for how many minutes they're doing their task versus how many minutes they might be trying to hustle to the end of the building to get a to use the restroom or to get a snack or something or a glass of water um, and and yet and also the fact that you know Jeff Bezos can't afford to put elevators in his buildings for for his workers, and yet he's he's worth what now? I I, I lose track if it's 180 billion um, that he's worth personally right now. Um, it fluctuates day to day to day based on the stock market, but um, yeah, it's hard to find a more dramatic example. And I find it funny how uh, Jeff Bezos really doesn't have any fans anywhere that I can see because even. Um, Senator Mark Rubio, uh, Republican from Florida, has come out in support of the the union drive at Amazon. So um, they're they're a poster child. But I, what I want to make clear is that they're they're a dramatic example, but this is really a systemic problem in corporate America. These extreme disparities. Yeah, I think the pandemic has been kind of the perfect storm for Amazon because of mm-hmm. the fact that so many people just found themselves with little choices other than buying things online. Amazon was positioned to to do well during the pandemic, and I don't think anybody saw that coming. That that wasn't a corporate strategy. You know, let's let's lock up online uh, purchasing in case there's ever a pandemic. (laughs) You know, nobody could predict that. So I don't don't think people... um, fault Amazon necessarily as an entity uh, for benefiting the way it did during the the pandemic. But what you're talking about is this systemic uh, way that companies are organized where, as uh, Billie Holiday said, them that's got shall have. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Yeah. And, you know, there's also just outrageous um, examples of companies that 
haven't done well during the pandemic and, and for reasons that were beyond their control. I lifted up Carnival, a cruise company, and um, this is a company where you might remember in the beginning of the pandemic, they, they str- struggled to get their passengers home, but they stranded their employees on their cruise ships without pay for months, like for five months. Um, and so you think that the executives there would have felt like they needed to, to tighten their own belts a little bit in solidarity with their workers. But at uh, Carnival, the board gave the CEO a special retention award um, and actually boosted his overall pay to $13 million, which was a 22% increase over 2019. So again, you see just the, the mentality that, you know, even while, um, and they gave them that award while they, it, five months into the pandemic, they still had workers stranded on these ships, not being paid. They were even charging them for basic things like soap um, because they didn't want to pay to get them back to their home countries. And yet their fixation was, oh, what if our CEO left us right now? Let's make sure that doesn't happen by giving him a multi-million dollar retention bonus. It's uh, some of these things just they they seem like the work of fiction, but uh, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Um, did you get the sense while you were testifying and and listening to the testimony of others? Um, in the Senate uh, Budget Committee hearing yesterday, that this process was going anywhere? Well, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, solutions because uh, the hearing was timed to the introduction of a bill that Senator Sanders and, and others on both the House and the Senate side have championed, which gets at this uh, problem of the big gap between CEO and worker pay. It's called the tax excessive CEO pay act, and it would increase taxes on corporations that have huge gaps between CEO and worker pay, which I think is a great idea because it would create an incentive to both rein in pay at the top and lift up worker wages. And it would also generate some revenue, which we need to help pay for the COVID recovery. So, you know, Companies that have narrow gaps um, wouldn't pay an extra dime under it. So, you know, small businesses and, and others with gaps of, you know, less than 50 to 1 wouldn't um, have any extra costs under this bill. But um, ones that have bigger gaps and, and the highest uh, tax rate increase would apply to companies that have gaps of 500 to one or more between their CEO and and their worker pay. And we're hoping that this will be the kind of uh, fair tax policy that is considered as part of the the next big COVID legislative package, which we expect to see starting to develop uh, probably over the summer, which will include a lot of public investment for infrastructure and other things, but along with some new ways to help uh, pay for the cost of, of what we need to do to get the economy back on its feet in, in ways that are equitable and, and um, you know, ensure that the people most able to pay the costs are the ones that, that um, face higher taxes. Well, my guest is uh, Sarah Anderson, who uh, testified at the Budget Committee hearing for the U.S. Senate on Income and Wealth Inequality. 
uh, yesterday. And uh, she's from the Institute for Policy Studies. She's their uh, CEO pay expert. Sarah, we've got to wrap it up here, but um, I, I feel like we could talk about this for hours. But, <laughs> but I always give guests, um, as you know, an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Um, uh, yeah. For example, is your testimony online? Uh, yes, and they can watch the full hearing and read the testimony of all the witnesses on the Senate Budget Committee hearing page. But if you want to keep up on uh, like regular updates on, on inequality facts and solutions, at IPS we have a website called inequality.org, so it's easy to remember, just inequality.org, and you can um, sign up for our free weekly newsletter there on the homepage and We've also got a, a fact section that has all the, you know, most up-to-date facts and figures about um, inequality uh, from different angles, and uh, we'd love to, to hear from people. Well, Sarah, thanks so much. Uh, I, I always appreciate talking with you and Chuck Collins and others from IPS. Um, keep up the good work. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. pleasure. Bye-bye. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Now, when a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague, and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague, well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well, unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus And if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July A super bad transmittable contagious awful virus And if you got a better cough in your arm And if you got a better <coughs> Now back in 1918 influenza had its run But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I Today we have mass media and scientists to say If you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away Super damn important that we practice isolation Cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation It's super damn important that we practice isolation if we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com 
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked so what are you waiting for stop hiding and start living with tequila from 
This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. in the newspapers for the big parties and the uh, state dinners. Now, we've got to cut down and economy starts at home. All right, if you say so. Oh, here they are. All right, uh, gentlemen, uh, let us be seated. Uh, Mr. Adenauer, if uh, you will sit uh, next to your uh, friend, Mr. DeGaulle. And uh, Mr. Castro, if you will sit here next to your friend, Mr. Khrushchev. Mr. Nasha, if you will sit here next to uh, Mr. Ben-Gurion. I'm... I'm, uh, I'm sh- I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Nkrumah, if you will sit in between Mr. Ben-Gurion and Mr. Nasha, then uh, you can uh, turn either way. Now, uh, Mr. Uh, Shankai Shek, would you uh, please uh, sit there beside Mr. Khrushchev? Oh, good. Now, uh, before we get down to the business at hand, I think lunch would be in order. Now, I thought that instead of the uh, formal food we usually serve here, that we would have a uh, typical American uh, businessman's lunch. So I'm going to send down to the delicatessen store for uh, some sandwiches. Well, how does that uh, how does that strike you, gentlemen? Uh, 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 Mr. Khrushchev, Mr. Khrushchev, would you? Uh, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but would you mind uh, just taking your shoe off the table? Now, I think uh, I'll have a uh, peanut butter and jelly on whole wheat with a uh, side order of a uh, coleslaw and a hot fudge uh, sundae. Uh, Mr. De Gaulle? Yuck. I would like to have dove under glass. Well, I'm uh, sorry, General, but uh, we're only having sandwiches today. Then could I have a dove under glass sandwich? All right, uh, Pierre, a chicken salad on white for the General. Uh, Mr. Uh, Shankai Shek. Uh, club sandwich would be fine. Thank you so much. Would you like it with a, a little mayo? Please, not to mention that name. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Mr. Uh, Nasser. I'll have a hot pastrami sandwich. I can never get it at home. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of bread? White toast with lettuce and uh, mayonnaise. Uh, Mr. Nasser. What do you want, Ben-Gurion? Look, I I know we don't get along. You never listen to me. Now you're fooling around with rockets. But this time, please listen. Pastrami don't go with white bread and lettuce and mayonnaise. (laughs) Have it on rye bread with mustard and a glass tea. You'll enjoy. I think that uh, I think that Mr. Uh, Ben Gurion has a point there. All All right, I'll, I'll take a chance. Good boy. And if you like pastrami, next time you're in my neighborhood, drop into the house. My wife makes like a filter fish. It melts in your mouth. We'll have to get together, Mr. Ben-Gurion. My name is Ben-Gurion. You can call me Ben. My name is Abdul Nasser. You can call me Abe. Good. Now, uh, fine. Mr. Uh, Mr. Khrushchev. Oh, you don't have to order special for me. I'll have a bite of everybody else's. (laughs) 
right, uh, Mr. Uh, Adenauer. You have one sandwich here in America I love. I have a Western sandwich. If Adenauer has a Western sandwich, then I'll have an Eastern sandwich. There is uh, no Eastern sandwich. Then I want the Eastern portion of his Western sandwich. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm uh, sure... I'm sure we can uh, negotiate on that subject. Uh, Mr. Castro. No pregunte qué su patria puede hacer para usted. Pero pregunte qué usted puede hacer para su patria. I have a chicken sandwich with a live chicken. Well... Uh... Well, that leaves uh, Mr. N. Uh, Krumah. What will you have, sir? I'll have some watermelon. Don't put me on, Mr. Nagrumah. <laughs> all right. All right. A ham and egg sandwich and a Coke. And I guess a bowl of borscht. Okay. Okay, uh, Pierre, uh, put the rush on it. Well, we got Gentlemen, that was a uh, pleasant lunch. Now, uh, under discussion today, will be nuclear disarmament, followed by the U.N. bond issue and a uh, matter of the trade agreements. Now, first, there is a most important matter to settle. Uh, Mr. De Gaulle, yours was the chicken salad and coffee. That's $1.40. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Shore and leave their footprints from the sand. 
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 